Thank you, Kevin and team, for uh, leading us today. Uh, welcome to those of you who are watching online this morning as well. And I just wanted to say, you know, as a pastor, as part of our uh, Baptist family of churches, uh, how grateful I am for Garth and for his leadership, but for the, to be a part of a community of pastors and churches who, when we go through things like a global pandemic, we can have a network of people to walk with through that. We have a network of people if we want to continue to learn and grow in our skill development and to continue to learn and get better, that there's opportunities for that. So I'm so grateful for this network of churches and the blessing that it, that it is to me. Um, I know that as I've met with people over the last 20-some years in pastoral ministry, um, one of the hardest issues uh, is when someone comes with an unanswered prayer burden that's been in their life. A situation that's been heavy on their heart that impacts their daily life. Maybe it's somebody they love or care about that they're worried about. Uh, maybe it's a health situation, a financial situation, whatever it might be. Uh, but they come and they come with this burden. And it's been weighing on them for some time. And oftentimes they'll meet and they'll share and they'll kind of want to know why has this prayer not been answered? Why has this not been any movement in this area for such a long time? I've been faithful. I've been praying. Why? And it's one of the hardest questions because, of course, we're not sure. We don't speak always for God's ways and His will and how things work in people's lives. And I know in those moments that to offer a flippant, trite, um, answer that just kind of throws something out to somebody can be very harmful and very hurtful because these things are so important to us and these matters are so significant in our lives. We're going to read today in our continuing our parable season about a parable about unanswered prayer. It's found in Luke chapter 18 and I would invite you to turn there if you have the Bibles in front of you. It's on page 1628. Um, you can look it up electronically on your phone. Luke chapter 18. We'll start reading at verse 1. And just to, just to verse 8, Luke, um, one of the three gospel narratives on the life of Jesus, was a medical doctor. He wrote a very chronological, detailed account of the life of Jesus, and he seemed particularly fascinated with the parables that Jesus taught because he captured so many of them uh, in, in his gospel. So let's read together Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable, and he's going to tell us the point of the parable right from the get-go, so no suspense for this message, uh, to show them that they should always pray and not give up. They should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men or cared about what men thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with all of her asking. The Lord said then to his hearers, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So here's a parable about a judge, and the judge represents God in this passage, and a widow who has a request, and that represents you and I who have prayers that we've been praying, 
Things that we've been praying about for some time that have gone to this point seemingly unanswered. I don't know how you felt about the description of the judge in this case that's supposed to represent God in Jesus' parable. Uh, It's a little bit off-putting, and I think that's on purpose. Jesus throws us all off off balance with this description of a judge who's not God-fearing, doesn't care what other people think, and a judge who seemingly is not the least bit interested in the facts of the case, but just kind of throws out a judgment, not even listening to their plea. Now, imagine if I got up here today and said, let me tell you, as a pastor, what God is like. He's kind of this distant, cold God that doesn't really care about the details too much of your life. How excited would you be about this? But this is kind of what Jesus does with this introduction of God in this passage as this callingly, seemingly unjust judge. And it throws us all a little bit off balance. And maybe it's because he wants us to focus on the widow. So let's talk about the widow here in the situation. If you lived in Jesus' day and someone told you, hey, there's this widow and she's been poorly treated, everybody would say, yeah, that sounds familiar. Because unfortunately, it was tragically common in this culture. In an ancient patriarchal culture, you needed a man to advocate you for almost everything in life, maybe socially, religiously, financially, and legally. It could be your husband, it could be your dad, it could be your brother, or it could be an uncle. But you needed a man to advocate for you in order to get justice in that situation. And being a widow meant that if your husband died, you were at the risk of being exploited, being taken advantage of socially, religiously, financially, legally, and even sexually, which is why there's 76 verses in the scriptures calling the people of God to look out for the widows and to care for them. And this, um, and this doesn't mean that the widows were weak. It just means that the systems in the society at that day were not fair and did not allow them opportunity to have their their cases heard. In fact, most of the widows that we read about in the scripture are tough and tenacious. You think about Ruth and uh, her mother-in-law fighting through difficult systems in order to get what they wanted. I think about the the widow that looked after the prophet Elijah, who was relentless in getting what she needed out of that situation. I think about the widow that came to Jesus and she was not going to leave until she got what she wanted from Christ. And the widow in this parable is not to be messed with either. She comes across uh, very, very forceful. Some of the commentators speculate um, that she wouldn't have been actually allowed in the courthouse, so she was probably um, catching the judge in and out of his office, uh, going to his house, knocking on his door. She was breaking all the rules of the day of what you could and couldn't do. In fact, there's almost a comical twist here, whereby the way Luke phrases it, um, it says that she was threatening him with violence. In fact, the word that Luke uses kind of speaks of a knockout punch that would leave you black and blue. And he was scared of her, and so he gave her the justice that she wanted as a point of self-preservation. Now, Jesus isn't saying here, if you don't get what you like, go around beating people up. That's That's not the point of the parable. But Jesus is wanting you and I to identify with the burden that this widow is carrying that is so heavy and weighs so deeply upon her heart that she is going to do anything it takes to get this judge's attention and to get a hearing before him so that her needs are met. He's trying to capture what you and I have experienced in this life. We have a prayer concern that has not been answered, and it's so heavy and weighty in our hearts that when we hear this widow acting like this, we think, yeah, if I had like a little less sleep and didn't have breakfast this morning, I could see myself doing that. We can relate to it because we have things that we bring to the Lord 
that we want answers to so, so badly. And maybe even as we gather here this morning, there's some that are just on your heart. They're tender on your heart today. Maybe it's a health situation, a relationship, uh, someone that you love or care about who's kind of been lost in this season. Uh, Maybe it's financial or looking for work and you've been praying. You've been asking God. And you've been banging on the doors of heaven seeking His help, seeming to get no answer from Him. And maybe you're thinking, I'm not sure I'm ready for a cute little parable about praying more and don't give up praying, given the circumstance and given how much I have been praying. But I think what Jesus initially wants us to hear is, your prayers matter. And the one who's hearing your prayers is telling you, your prayers matter. And don't confuse a lack of answers with a lack of receptivity. Unanswered prayers raise the hardest questions in life for us. They cause us to wonder, am I doing something wrong in praying? Should I be folding my hands differently? Should I be getting down on my knees? Should I be quoting a certain Bible verse before I pray to maybe increase the likelihood that I'll get my prayers answered? Did I do something 10 years ago that I've forgotten to ask for forgiveness for and God's not answering my prayer because I did that thing but I've forgotten about it and is that why he's not answering my prayers? Leaving us to ask or maybe it's the judge. Maybe that's what God is really like. He doesn't really care what people think about my problems, and he's not really there to help me. Now, one of the things that's consistent through all of the parables is that Jesus always has a surprise twist in them. There's always something in these parables that get us thinking, what? No, that's not the way God's like, is it? That's not how God's kingdom will be, is it? And I think there's one of those in this parable. In fact, I think it's the the description that Jesus gives of this judge, which immediately pushes us off balance, but maybe that's where he wants us to focus. So I want to spend a few minutes looking at the three descriptions of this judge that Jesus offers for us and get us to think about how it is that we think about God when we pray to him. The first description that he uses here is he says um, that Jesus, or this judge, doesn't fear God. Now, the fear of God was a phrase that was often used of the religious people, in particular, the Pharisees. They were God-fearing Jews. And some commentators wonder if this is Jesus' way of saying to this widow, I know you went to the religious leaders to get help, and I knew they blew you off and just brushed you aside, and they showed no care and concern of your situation. But I want you to know this, God is not like the religious people of your day. And maybe you've had an experience, you went to a religious person or somebody like me, and we didn't give you the proper time or attention in the matter that was so heavy on your heart. Jesus is saying in this passage, God is here for you. He hears your prayers, even though other people who claim to be God-fearing and claim to be religious people are not listening to what you say. God is different. He's compassionate. He cares for your circumstances and he hears you. Second, Jesus describes this judge as not caring what people think. Now, I think that's a great thing. I think that's a wonderful, mostly, way to live your life. And I think it's a wonderful attribute to have in a judge. He's not open to bribes. He's not asking other people, hey, what's your opinion of so-and-so? What do you think I should do in their case or in their situation? He's not interested in spin. He's not interested in half-truths. He's not interested in how his judgment is going to play out in the larger culture. He's going to do what he thinks is good and what he thinks is right. Finally, 
It appears that this judge is not the least bit interested in the facts of this woman's case. He arbitrarily gives her what she wants without giving her a proper hearing in court. He's not sitting at his desk opening up all those big legal books that you see judges have in all the movies trying to figure out what's the precedent for this case, what should I do, what's lenient, what's strict, where should I find myself in this matter. He's not interested in the facts of the case. Leaving us to wonder if Jesus is implying that when we come to God, he's not so much interested in what you did or what someone did to you He's not there to gather all of the facts because what he's going to give you is based on grace, not on the details of your situation. It should not surprise us. Grace, by its very nature, is undeserved. Jesus is not sitting there with a calculator trying to figure out the proper amount. He gives us more than we ask for, and he gives us what we don't deserve. Who I was, what I've done, where I've come from, don't change God's verdict. He gives more than we could ask or imagine. This judge is not keeping track of this woman's behavior. He gives her above and beyond. Why? Because we all come to the Lord as broken, sinful people. And the specifics of what we did, how long we did it, and whether we'll continue to do it, don't impact his judgment on us. He gives us mercy. His judgment is not based on our performance. It's based on grace. There's a story that um, Christian author Brendan Manning tells. It's a, it's a story about a woman who lived in, in South America. And uh, she kept having these dreams of Jesus coming to her and having conversations with her. And after she would have these dreams, she would tell all of her friends that she was at home having conversations with Jesus and would explain to her friends what those conversations were all about. Word eventually got to her priest, and um, her priest came to visit her and said, look, you've got to stop telling people you're having these dreams. And you've got to stop talking to people, telling them that you're talking with Jesus. People are starting to get the wrong impression about you. This is not good. Please stop. But the woman said, but I am having these conversations with Jesus, and they're happening on a regular basis, and they're quite meaningful to me. So the priest says, well, here's what I want you to do. The next time you have a dream where Jesus comes and speaks to you, I want you to ask Jesus a question. And I want you to ask him this question. Say, Jesus, what's the worst thing my priest ever did? And he'll tell you, and then we can talk about it. So he goes, thinking he solved this. He's never going to hear from this woman again. But he hears a few weeks later, rumors are circulating again that this woman is having these dreams. She's been talking with Jesus in her dreams, and he goes to visit her to see what's going on. So he shows up at her house, and he says to her, I hear you've been having more dreams. She said, yes, I have. Did you ask Jesus the question I told you to ask him? She said, yes, I did. And he said, well, did Jesus answer you? She said, he did. At which point, the priest got a little nervous, and he kind of stood there for a second. And he said, well, what what did Jesus say to you? She said, well, Jesus came to me one day in a dream, and I was talking to him. And so I asked him, Jesus, uh, tell me the worst sin that my priest has committed. And she said, Jesus' response to her was, he said, I don't remember. This is the nature of grace. 
The judge isn't keeping track of all of the details. His judgment on us is greater than we could ever ask or ever imagine. God's mercy is extended to us, is greater than we deserve. God is not like a bad experience we've had with a religious person. He's greater than what you think. He's not listening to other people's opinions, worried about what they'll think of him if he sides with you or gives you too much. And he's keeping no record of wrongs. He's motivated not by your story and the case that you can build for how good you are. He's motivated by mercy and by grace. So let's come back to the beginning. Jesus' call that you and I would be people who pray and that we don't give up praying. Calling us again, even though you may not have gotten the answer you wanted or in the timing that you liked, or maybe he answered and you haven't known, or maybe he hasn't answered, but he's not answered yet. The call to keep praying and to release ourselves of the temptation to think, I'm not getting the answer because I didn't pray properly. I didn't quote the right verse. I didn't hold my hands properly. Maybe I should have gotten down on my knees. Maybe there's something in my past. This is not the point of this parable. Jesus is saying, if you look at the lit widow and the leniency with which the judge gave her, God says you can call out to him with the prayers that are on your heart. Notice in verse 8, my favorite part of this, of this parable. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith? Faith like this widow's faith. He's holding her up as the example for you and I on how to pray when God doesn't seem to be answering our prayers. This woman whose faith was so strong that she believed a judge as crazy as this one would answer her prayers. That an unjust judge would give her justice even though she wouldn't give him a fair hearing. Even though she didn't have an advocate to stand up for her on her behalf, that ultimately she believed that this judge would answer her prayers. This is the kind of faith Jesus is calling you and I to, meaning the one to whom we pray is more important than the technique used in our prayers. Because so often, we are left thinking, maybe my prayers aren't being answered because of me. And Jesus is saying, in this time, we trust the one to whom we pray. I want to end by sharing with you um, just this wonderful image that comes from C.S. Lewis. He wrote a poem called, A Footnote to All Prayers. A Footnote to All Prayers. It's a quite of a long poem, and it's kind of Shakespearean-like, so I thought for us to look at it, it might be more confusing than not. But I'd encourage you to go home and look it up and read it and spend some time reflecting on it, because it's really wonderful. A Footnote to All Prayers. Um, he just thought, I need something like a footnote that goes at the end of every prayer that lets God know that I might not be praying properly, but God, you know my heart and I still hope my prayer gets to you. And in this, he uses the metaphor of archery, um, that praying is kind of like shooting an arrow. And I don't know, probably nobody has done archery since the 1500s here, but um, the idea that prayer is like archery, you shoot an arrow, you have, a, you have a prayer and you launch it off and you hope it's going in the right direction and you hope that it's going to land on target. But then he says humbly, and Lewis was a theological giant, intelligent, thoughtful, and had such a rich faith life of his own. And yet he admits prayer can be difficult because sometimes our minds are so preoccupied that we might not pray well. 
Sometimes our prayers are selfish. We may not know that they're selfish, but sometimes our prayers are truly selfish. They're purely about me getting my way. He also said humbly, you know, I might not even have the right idea of who God is and what he's like. Therefore, my prayers might even be borderline blasphemous. When with all this in mind, how is it that when I shoot my arrow, my prayer would ever get to God's throne room? And he has this wonderful line. He talks about the magnetic mercy of God, that while our prayer may be misdirected, God has this magnetic mercy that draws the arrows towards the target, and it gets them there. That God knows our hearts. He knows the weight with which we're in prayer. He knows the burden and how heavy it is. And even though we may not pray for the right thing and even pray for the right timing, and even though our view of God might not be accurate, we shoot our prayer and God in his mercy directs it to the throne room of grace. Almost as if God helps us pray the prayer we should have prayed instead of the prayer we did pray. Meaning this, Whatever that unanswered prayer is in your life, don't give up praying for it. Don't stop. And don't put the burden on yourself that maybe I'm doing it wrong. Call out to God, shoot your arrow to Him, and He will direct it to the throne room of God for you and on your behalf. Does this mean your prayers will get answered more quickly? I don't know. Does this mean you'll get exactly what you want? I'm not sure. That's up to the good judge whom we trust when we bring him our prayers. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're grateful that you see our prayers. You know how heavily they weigh in our hearts. You know that even as we're talking about them here this morning, it's bringing up feelings and thoughts and maybe even emotions. Maybe we've stopped bringing them to your presence. Maybe we've quit. We gave up. And Lord, today you invite us to pray again and to not stop. We thank you today that we can trust you. And that's the source of our confidence as we pray. And we pray for the faith of this persistent widow who refused to give up knowing, God, that you would ultimately answer her prayers. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.